they're, they're different. They're very, very different. I can close your trading. This is why I don't like, this is why I come away from uh, pop firm trading in general as well. It's because I know the back end of MT4. You have 15 million already. Yeah. And you're taking 10 or 20 million at a pop. How many investors do you guys have right now? Are you allowed to say mm -hmm. that? So, yeah, we're allowed to say that. We have over 300 clients at the current minute. So, you, we have a bare minimum of a 10 to 20K investment. However, you will be capped at a certain percentage. The brokerage side of things, I know what's happening in the back end. I know that a lot of these prop firms in general at the space at the minute are not utilizing the technology that they will have in, in general because they're a middleman, a large firm. Not seeing the seven figures for a certain amount of time frame could kill a lot of businesses off. So, what's up, traders? Welcome to the Day Trading Show. I'm your host, Austin Silver, and I really appreciate you being here. If you're new to the show, make sure you subscribe. We drop interviews every single week with successful traders from all over the world. Today, we sit down with Charlie Williams. Charlie is a super smart, young, hungry, motivated trader from the UK. Charlie's running a small office of about 15 million, small office of about 15 million. He's got seven guys. In there with him. We talk all about his team, his hedging, correlations, his strategy, everything. Of course, we talk about prop firms, even though Charlie's not the biggest fan. So you guys are going to like this. I'm sure you're going to love this episode. Make sure you connect with Charlie. His links are down below. And make sure you also check down below. I have a three-day free trial to come watch me and our team trade live on ASFX TV. If you're new, ASFX TV is our live streaming service where you can watch our team of funded traders every single day. So check that out. Connect with Charlie. Make sure you subscribe and enjoy the conversation. All right, traders, welcome back to the show. Today, I'm sitting down with co-host Tom Jackson, my brother, and our guest, Mr. Charlie Williams. Charlie, how are you, bro? Very, very well. Thank you for having me on. It's an absolute it's pleasure. Dude, it's good to have you. I've been uh, following you on Twitter, staying up on your content. I love what you guys are doing. And I want to share that with the audience today. I want to talk about your business. I want to talk about your trading. I'm really excited to just kind of put out what you guys are doing because it's definitely different. I mean, Tom, you agree, right? Mm -hmm. What they're doing is a little bit different from what we see the typical retail trader doing, right? Yeah, I think the listeners are going to find a lot of value in this today and potentially another option or another avenue that they can go down with their trading once they've got some consistency behind them and then what other doors are available instead of going down your typical sort of prop firm that people are going down at the minute. So I think, yeah, they're going to find a lot of value in listening to this episode. Dude, it's like we have so many people on and we talk about prop firms so much. It's mm. it's just nice to have somebody that is not pushing prop firms and stuff for us to still <laughs> talk to, bro. So Charlie, yeah, tell everybody a little bit about yourself really quick, because I'm sure some people are new to you. Where are you from? Yeah, how course. long have you been trading and how long have you had your business? Yeah, no. So, uh, so yeah, no, originally from the UK, um, been trading now for roughly coming up six years. Um, businesses, Westwood Associates, we are an FX CFD, uh, trade desk investment fund, if you will. Uh, we manage, um, capital and private investment from high net worth individuals and general retail investors as well. Um, and yeah, no, it's nice, short and sweet. Um, we've been running up and we've been running now for, uh, two years coming up to two years um, and all has been well so far um, and it looks good for the future um, for us our goals for the end of the year is to get an old school sort of proprietary desk up and running um, in regards to monetizing uh, flow um, of volume of uh, basically trades um, to put it to put it pretty simply 
Um, and then obviously in 2024 or for the end of the year as well, we'll be moving into different jurisdictions for um, the, a massive goal for us within the next three years is to transition into an unconventional hedge fund, if you will. Um, and then start taking institutional clients and start being a little bit more aggressive and start taking over um, that sort of industry. And then later on down the line, um, turning into essentially an asset management firm, whether that be for acquisition um, or just kind of take it as it goes. This, you gentlemen know yourselves, this industry sort of... There's no can, ceiling, plan. There, there yep. is no ceiling. You can plan what, a year What's the difference, your bro, head. between the things that you're doing now versus a hedge fund versus mm -hmm. asset management asset and, and acquisitions? What's the difference? So the difference between... from If, if we keep it quite simple rather than yeah. going quite broad, from an FX perspective, because our bread and butter is FX, we we only trade FX at the minute, which is what something we're going to aim to change. Um, to keep it quite simple, from an FX perspective, a lot of the asset management firms will trade just typically spot FX um, because, again, they don't need a lot of leverage positions. They've got they're pushing what hundreds to two hundred, uh, hundreds of five hundred to even a full yard worth of volume. Um, Per position, so they don't need leverage at all. Where like hedge funds are typically and historically a lot more aggressive in regards to their investment strategies. Um, for us, notoriously, we're young. You can see it. You can hear it in my voice. Um, we're young. We're aggressive. Um, and and ultimately, we want to transition into the hedge fund um, and institutional space. Reason being is because the way we're structured at the current minute, we can but can't. Uh, onboard institutional clients. We can take on uh, corporate clients, but we can't take on institutional clients because there's certain different licenses, and certain different jurisdictions and regulations that. So it's about you who you can take to. money from, not just the way it's you trade and what you trade, yeah. but who you can take yeah. money from. Got it. Do you have a minimum investment for you guys now? Would that change yes. as you go into hedge fund, right? Because hedge funds have minimum investment yeah. and stuff like that, right? With the yeah, of course. Yeah, yeah. We, we, we have a minimum investment. Uh, we tailor it depending on who you are as an individual and what essentially you. Are looking for going forward um and not only that because we have to tailor how we take and progress on your investment so the, the, the easiest way i can take the easiest way i can i can essentially give it to you we have a bare minimum of a 10 to 20k investment however you will be capped at a certain percentage the more money the more we can talk um it's essentially how we can go back and forth and not only that we we do a lot more, we do a lot of other things for our clients. So whether it be from a tax perspective, we can go back and forth with sure. a certain client and, sure. and, and take different avenues and, uh, and different bits and pieces like that. So realistically, we're quite broad and we're quite, um, what's the word? We're very um, comforting um, and I've forgotten the word, but yeah, no. We, we, was very, that the original goal? Was it was it originally started to be yeah. broad? Because like right now, you have a good amount of assets under management already in just a couple of yeah, years, right? Yeah. yeah. So the the Westwater Group. So obviously, taking us individually, we turn Westwater Group individual uh, as a group in in total, we have roughly about fifteen million under management. But Westwater as a fund has. 3.5 million on the management um, because obviously you've got to take into proprietary firms, whether that be hedge funds that are invested into us ourselves as individuals. Um, not because of obviously the, 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 this is the issue that falls in with regards to Westwood's structuring. 
that institutional clients can't physically invest into company itself however can invest into us as traders and obviously the world's worst though there's a lot of liquidity in this world um right. and money well, bro, I mean, to have 15 million already yeah and you're taking 10 or 20 million at a pop how many investors do you guys have right now are you allowed to say mm -hmm. that so yeah we're allowed to say that we have over 300 clients at the current minute and what are you uh, doing to get stuff. those guys i'm curious from a sales perspective for myself i'm curious how have you gotten them yeah when we spoke last week we were talking about social media and we were mm. both like yeah it's not the best you know it's just we got to play mm. the game play the game so how are you getting clients yeah. is it all word of mouth all word of mouth it is yeah, all word of mouth it, it my golf is course. the biggest exactly yeah, bro exactly <laughs> yeah it's all word of mouth that we we wasn't big on social media to begin with um however we we had a conversation. We're we've only just become a pretty recently we've become a, a part of a, a huge buy side for a, a huge buy side community where we'll be sitting next to heads of desk, um, CEOs of hedge funds, um, massive key decision makers in asset management firms, and we're having this conversation. And it's a beautiful conversation start because we're in and amongst this whole crowd, and it's a small circle. So it's only roughly about fifty. Uh, 50 to 100 people in these residentials like uh, where they all come together sort of thing we're all talking and it's a good conversation starter because the first thing you notice about myself and obviously my business partner Matt is that notoriously we're very very young amongst a very very older generation so uh, already it's already sparking a couple of questions and uh, uh, sparking a conversation like who, who are you two gentlemen and what do you do um so for us, obviously, we explain our story where obviously we started, um, how we've basically progressed. Um, and they turn around to us and say, look, listen, you'd be stupid not to, to, to go on social media and just generally in this day and age, start and, and make yourself known and, and yeah, make you yourself known. known. Exactly yeah. that. Um, and yeah, we've been we've been blessed uh, for the last like six months that it's been really really good been really really enjoying it it's ups and downs as you gentlemen know with social media yeah it swings and roundabouts um yeah. but yeah no it's it's been it's been good nonetheless but word of mouth for us is the the, the, the driver of our business in general which is great bro i mean to have a business that has mm. grown this much already off of word of mouth bro that is mm. incredible because now imagine what it's going to be like when you take on institutional mm. money when you do open the doors to bigger like it's just going to be a flood bro it's going to be waterfall exactly so that, talk to exactly real that. quick talk to us about the team i know you have matt over there we got to get matt on mm. the podcast in the future yeah but you got a couple other guys so tell us about your team and how you guys are managing over there it's football season Everybody's excited, but you're probably paying like 40 to 50, maybe 60 bucks a month through YouTube TV or Dish TV or NFL season pass, whatever it's called, just to watch the games, right? Well, for $10 a month, you can come watch me and other full-time traders live all week long, London session and New York session. Again, you're paying 50 bucks a month to watch football that brings you really no financial return. You probably lose your sports bets while you're watching, or you could come pay I should say end, you can come pay $10 a month. So during the week, you can be learning, making money, and really being a part of live trading with experienced traders. That's what we want to bring to the community with this ASFX TV product. And we would love to have you join us. So click the link down below, take the three-day free trial, check it out again, totally free. And you'll see it's more than worth the $10 a month. And then you'll be able to enjoy your NFL games and your ASFX TV streams. Yeah, no, so there's roughly about seven to nine of us at the current minute. We've got uh, our desk, which is roughly about two to three people. We've, so we've obviously got the FX analysts. We've got a macro researcher. A lot of it is in-house. Um, I myself um, her currently about halfway through from a CFA. 
Um, so very in tune with macro. How hard is that? Save analysis. Uh, we've got an hour now. Dude, my brother's studying for it right now. He says it's incredibly hard. It is incredibly hard. I think the pass rate only about very two years low. ago is roughly very about 23%. Now very I think low. it's batting around about 35, 40% as well. It's very, very, very hard pass rate. But again, it's not even for me about the license. It's about the information that I can take from these books and turn it into a specific alpha because only recently over the last, like I say, six to 12 months time, we've been, we've transitioned very much into a quantitative perspective because we've seen a trend. Like we've sat down ever since we've become a, a part of the, this buy side community, we've seen a massive trend where these hedge funds are actually transitioning. These hedge funds, asset management firms, technology providers, they're turning all quantitative so like it really first and foremost raised the question mark in my mind was like i need to i need to do a little bit of research about this and it really really stuck it really really raised the ideologies the methodologies really really resonated with myself and it was ever since then i never realistically looked back um so for us a lot of it is in-house we we have these conversations with um these firms, these hedge funds, these investment funds, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, all these heads of desks, all these key decision makers. And the issue that they have at the minute is they're so, so big and they're stru- their main struggle at the minute is talent acquisition. That's their main struggle. And right. we're sitting there and we're like, well, we've got a team of seven and nine. And they're like, I promise you now, just keep it. Keep yeah. it as simple and as small as physically possible and grow from the inside and, and, and just generally upskill because – the more people, the more aggro. Um, and especially with what we're currently doing now, uh, we're very, very happy, very, very content. It's very, very family-fied. And for me, for myself and, uh, and Matt, we're very, very happy with that. The more the more family-fied it is, the more when it, when clients come down to the office, speak with obviously myself, my clients, and see the team and see who we've got in the company, it's almost like, well, you're, now you're a part of that family. And that's why the word of mouth spreads so quickly. Um, so yeah, coming back to obviously... Um, your question regarding the team it's all pretty much in-house so i myself are very very accustomed with macroeconomics over the last six to 12 months have become very very quantified so now i'm doing all of i'm doing a lot regarding python because a lot of uh an issue that we had to begin with is that our bread and butter will always be fx it'll always 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 be fx but for us as we take on capital ultimately we've got all of these systems and all of these strategies that essentially we're running in, yeah, all of it's manual, by the way. It's not, we, we don't run any automated strategies at all. Um, however, where my mind goes through regarding automated strategies is, is in the back testing phases. You gentlemen know how long it takes to validate a certain strategy and, and validate a certain aspect within said strategy. It takes double the amount of time. So my mind was like, well, if I can create a mathematical expression in regards to the data validation or, or a certain parameter that I want to test on my tra- training strategy, if I can create the, the mathematical expression, turn it into a Python code, run the script over the course of however however much worth of data, I can I can backtest the, a certain strategy or a certain, uh, or, or certain parameter, 20 years worth of data in 30 seconds. And that for me has just saved me six to 12 months worth of, t- worth of manual backtesting to, to collect the data. Um, so that's where we transitioned over the last six to 12 months. Not only, not only the case of the, the, the industry in general and the hedge fund and asset management is transitioning more towards and more and, and allocating more capital towards the quantitative 
uh, investment strategies. Um, obviously, for us, we're a niche. We're CFD based. Um, but I love it. I, I, I really do love this side of the industry. Um, what does buy side mean? Again, Sorry for my ignorance, but what does buy side mean compared to sell so side? Buy side? So buy side essentially, so sell side essentially like your, your liquidity providers, your brokers, so they sell an investment service essentially. Buy side is the, the, the hedge fund, the, the investment firms. We are essentially allocating capital. To You're not providing the data. The You're playing the market. We're not providing. We essentially are playing the market. Um, yeah. So yeah, that's the that's sort of the differences between sell side and buy side um but yeah no we're, we're very much in-house um we have obviously fx strategists we have macroeconomic strategists which obviously myself we have the traders obviously myself um and then obviously we have the the quants which more recently myself um and then obviously we have more of the account manager side of things which is a bless for me i'm naturally introverted so when me when, when me, my, uh, myself and matt sat down uh, we were like, well, what's our strengths? What are we good at? And inherently me, if it's not about trading or something that I enjoy, I hate, I don't want to talk. So if we've got to have a conversation and I've got to pretend like I'm involved in the conversation, I hate it. So right. me talking to clients inherently doesn't really go down very well unless I'm in the certain mind frame that, okay, cool, I've got to have a conversation now and sort of uh, and resonate with this certain individual or I'm at a networking event and I've, but it, it drains my social battery really, really low. But Matt, on the other hand, is naturally extroverted. So he suits perfectly with, with that whole, with that whole system. So Matt deals a lot of, uh, Matt deals with all the acquisition side of things, dealing with all the, obviously the client relationships, uh, the brokerage side of things, the liquidity provider relationships, because the, the there's the trading side of this and then there's the business side of this and inherently you need good people on both ends of the uh, both ends of the spectrum um and then we've obviously got the accountants compliance officers and obviously uh we've got individuals that are very very equipped and very very accustomed to the technology that we use on the back end as well um from a risk metric and risk framework perspective so that's uh that's a little little <laughs> that's the, that's the team bro. yeah no that's, that's good information team, yeah before we get into some strategy stuff tom did you have anything you wanted to chop in on that you know i'll steal the microphone from you the whole time tom, i right? know yeah i know i gotta pass it i gotta pass it i could ask so many <laughs> questions so so just to summarize for the listeners then really so what you're saying is you do a mm. lot of your strategy testing this quantitative analysis you're doing a lot of mm. statistical probabilities etc but then you're still actually trading it manually Yes, you're entering trades by clicking yeah. the button yourself. Always. You're not doing any yeah. automation or anything like that. Nope, 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 nope. nope nice. Nope, nope. We've got two different aspects of our liquidity. We have obviously client liquidity and then our profit on top of that. So whatever revenue we've generated from obviously our turnover, because we don't take a management fee, all of our profit generation is from training. So do you split that with your offer. your investors? A pre-agreed uh, split? No, we don't do a split. So we have basically a targeted agreement. So we basically have a targeted percentage that we have an agreement with. Um, obviously, this is not, we can't legally guarantee anything. It could be zero. It could be negative five. It could be negative 10. We obviously have to draw down figures in place with a certain individual that has different risk. Uh, risk appetites. We, cool. we we have uh, a legal in agreement with uh, the client, with the investor, to say if these metrics are hit, then we can have a conversation, sit down, and what are the what are the next steps to take in regards to you individually as an investor and your capital. I like but it from both us and how we work. and an up yeah, so, I imagine. 
Mm, yeah, so not only that, we can do a lot of things from a business perspective as well, because what we can do is that if over the course of six months, we've, let's say, for example, uh, for a complete figure out there, we target 2% a month. Well, if we know over the course of six months, well, our target is 12.6%, but actually we've achieved 60. We've now got a, we've now got a lot of liquidity buffer. to play we've with. We've got a buffer. So yeah. now from a, we've, we've got a massive buffer to, to basically take forward. So for us, we can either do two things. We can up risk, which what we don't want to do, especially when you're taking on more liquidity, or we can start allocating it to new arms of, of the desk, essentially. But wait, let's back up just for mm. a second too, because I, I, I'm glad Tom took it back to the prop firm comment, because it is important. And I was thinking about it as well. Can you share your thoughts overall on why you decided to go this route of more institutional, you could say more private money, let's call it private mm. money, rather than prop yeah. firm? Yeah, man managed funds. Manage funds. It's, it's, Why it's, manage it's, funds it's versus yeah. just getting funded? Because, bro, you could have gotten funded with two, three, four, five million dollars and probably been making the same. Yeah. And, and ex yeah. Like for me, just explain how you got into it in the first place. Like, yeah. Like from like yeah. 18 year old. So why didn't you like it? Yeah. 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 Because I mean, clearly, we'll you start, must we'll have start seen from the beginning. Right. Oh, yeah. 100%. Yeah. Yeah. 100%. 100%. I mean, we'll start from the beginning. I mean, for me, when I was, I, I got started when I was 15. So I was very much interested in this when FTMO and the Fibers were sort of the only two prop firms within the industry that were sort of making cap these like 200k accounts available to the industry. Um, ever since I was fit, even when I was a 15, 16 year old, I wasn't an idiot. All of these, all of these uh, brokerage accounts that uh, are provided to influencers and they're making whatever, whether it be uh, specific lot sizes or whatever it might be. I'm not an idiot. I, I know when something smells fishy or not. Um, so as a 15, 16 year old, I never got roped into anything like that. So I was always very, okay, cool. If I am the dictator of what I learn and what I don't learn, then ultimately I can only blame myself if I get ultimately scammed. Um, I got involved with uh, a couple of firms, um, and realistically it wasn't for any reason other than the fact that I just wanted to learn and gather information. That was ultimately what it was. I was just, I'd need, I know I needed to be a sponsor for information. Um, and not only that, my mum was a trader as well. So it's always sort of been in the family. It's no sort way, of been, bro. Your sort of, mom was yeah, a trader? Yeah, my mom was a, yeah. My That's mom was a first a on the podcast, bro. For a Hong yeah, Kong bank. Yeah, Is she from Hong Kong yeah. or no? She's she's British. No, 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 no. She, she, she's British. She, she, okay. So she basically, she met my dad. Um, She basically got a really, really good job for a, a bank in Hong Kong. She moved away. Uh, she fell pregnant with me and then she moved back, gave it all up and she uh, was, uh, and then she left that job to be, uh, I think was a, a gold, in, worked in a gold exchange. Um, but other than that. Um, Damn bro. I've so it's really in your 10, blood. 15 years. For real. Yeah. Yeah. So it's, I've always been sort of, it's in my blood and I didn't know that she was a trader until my dad turned around because um, my dad, turned, when obviously the, the firm basically picked up, he didn't know what, industry I was going into because my relationships with my my parents wasn't the greatest going back like two three years ago that's another story for another time um <laughs> but um he didn't I, I didn't know until he turned around and told me did you know your mother was uh, a trader as well and I was like I didn't know that so it was by pure chance and pure faith wow, that that's I've crazy. gone that well crazy yeah it was really really weird really really weird but anyway um so yeah, no, I was what, 15, 16, really got into the industry. Uh, fast forward to roughly 2020, um, knew a little bit about the industry. Um, wasn't at a stage where I had the capacity to 
realistically take this full time. But ultimately, I was still working part time uh, at UPS, moving parcels out of the back of the lorry at 10 o'clock at night. Um, massive, wouldn't change it for the world. Loved it, absolutely loved it. But that six months allowed me to save a lot, a lot of capital. I was very, very tight for the first when I when I got really started working because I knew what I wanted to do and I knew that I weren't that that, that average kid, for example. Basically, myself and Matt, we saved for roughly about six months working part time, and we was like, okay, cool. We want to make the move to an an area where we're going to be in and in and around traders, funds, investment firms, and all of these technology providers that could potentially like like uh, help us essentially and, and mentor us we made the move in 2020 when office prices were very very cheap in canary wharf unfortunately it's not the um it's not the reality now um we, be any for, expensive, for, for, could it? yeah 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 it, it, to be fair we, we got a really really good deal i mean back in 2020 we was paying for a four-man office 2400 pound a month and not bad but two for two for two eighteen year olds, it was a it was it was a lot, but it was manageable. Right. It was like, okay, cool. We we've got six we signed a six month contract and we were like, we can we've got it for six months, but now we need to sort of crack on and and really do what we were supposed to do. Otherwise we're moving out and we haven't accomplished anything and we're twenty-four grand down uh, between us. Now uh, we pay uh, seven thousand pound uh, a month for this space, which is a twenty-one man desk. Go back across the road at Forty Bank Street, Forty Bank Street, which is what you basically, which is right next to J.P. Morgan. For a twenty-one man desk, you're paying no less than twelve grand a month. So, like office prices now compared to when they were in twenty twenty, uh, a completely different story. But wow. Yeah, no, we made we made the move in 2020 um, with the assumptions with the, the goal of essentially meeting individuals, and we did. Uh, Momento to date, um, and it's been an absolute godsend. And uh, I could sit here and talk nothing but good things to begin with. But ultimately, it wasn't from he, he didn't he didn't lecture us and nurture us from a, a trading strategy perspective. He taught us a lot about technology. He taught us a lot about risk. He taught us a lot about life in general and business. And those four things matured us really, really quickly. And not only that, I mean, a lot of individuals sit down and have a conversation with us and quickly work out how mature we are for our actual age. And that whole year in general was a massive, 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 massive uh, positive towards that. Um, so, yeah, no, we, we made the fund in 2020. Um, and, and and ever since then, we, we were sort of in between that time from 2020 to 2022, we were very, very prop firm prominent. We were very much, okay, cool, I'm, I, I love the prop firms, this, that, and the other. And the reason why I transitioned away from prop firms is because the strategy that I built was very, very prominent to spread rollover. And a lot of the firms, and especially when I become more acute with the brokerage side of things, I know what's happening in the back end. I know that a lot of these prop firms in general with the space at the minute, are not utilizing the technology that they will have in, in general because they're a middleman. They're, they're, they're very much in a gray area in, the, in an industry that is essentially not black and white. It is very much gray, but they sit in a gray area in regards to regulations because they're not an investment firm, so they don't have direct relationship with liquidity and they're not a, they're not a broker. Um, so therefore, uh, so they're not an investment firm, sorry. So um, they're not an investment firm, not a broker, so they don't fall under a lot of regulation in general. That's why they can get away. Um, which, or they can get away with whatever they want right now, right? They can get away with away with a lot a lot of things. And not only that, I'm on Twitter and I'm sitting there, and I, everyone likes to talk about Airbnb, but but 
you can tell very, very quickly that not a lot of people have a very good grasp on what the actual two things are. They have a good grasp on it, but there's a lot more to it. And there's a lot more underlying in the back end between the two and what actually you can have access to in general from a liquidity perspective. So can you speak on that me, a little bit when, just, just to educate that real quick? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, I'll touch basis on obviously why I transitioned away uh, and then okay. I'll come back to it anyway. Okay. Um, See, so, you know, I transitioned away from prop firms because the two strategies that I ran were H4 focused. And for me, a lot of the, it was very, very prominent to spread rollover. It's not very prominent to spread in general. I just need spreads to be stable because what I can't have is to be trading a minor like, I don't know, GJ, for example, that's very, very trend following in general for me. But if I go 60% in drawdown, let's say, for example, I've got, a, I don't know, a 40 pip stop loss, for example, yeah, I go stop. 20 pips into drawdown and now I get slipped out of the position. Well, that's no good for me because it might reverse. Yeah. And a lot of the prop, for, and you go to the prop and you're like, oh, I got slipped out of this position with 20, like 20 pips worth of spread during market rollover. That's not on because I'm looking at a different brokerage and they've got their spread at five pips or two pips, for example. And they'll come back to you and say, nothing we can do about it because we're not the broker. Yeah. So that's why I transitioned away from the firms because it was very, in my opinion, intraday focused and very scalp focused in my bro, opinion. Bro, if anything, I mean, yes, everyone, not only that, bro, they make money mm. off people failing. Let's not lie. Like there's no exactly. reason Exactly, and that is like, that's why. What the, that's the, like, exactly. of course they're going to make the spread open up yeah. because it's more likely you fail and more likely you have to mm. buy another challenge. 100%, 100%. And not only that, the reason why the reason why it is like that and the reason why they target the because you gentlemen will know as well because you run the data and you're heavily data focused that the smaller the time frame the more subjective it is and the less win rate it will essentially have especially with the especially with the retail industry in general and i'm not going to get into that whole political sort of argument in general but ultimately it's very very subjective and not a lot of people know exactly what they're buying and selling in general and their win rate isn't what they say their win rate is. So therefore, their pass rate is very, very low, which is very, very good for a prop firm. Yep. You go up time frames, you have better time to think, you have uh, you, well, you have better time to make better decisions. Not only that, you have uh, a lot more objective price action, a lot more reputable, uh, um, a lot more systematic price action in my, agenda, uh, in my opinion, and e the easier it is to run the data through um, over a large sample size, um, which will only optimize a certain win rate and optimize the, a certain a positive expect and reap a, a positive expectancy in general, which ultimately will pass prop firms. But the the issue that you have with that is that you need to hold positions, whether it be overnight, which not a lot of prop firms in 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 the beginning allowed you to do. They didn't allow allow you to hold uh, trades overnight, and they won't allow you to trade news. So as soon as a but every every single week or every single day, you you'll get news anyway. And a lot of the firms have closed your positions because you're not allowed to trade news. So for me, or you can't hold over weekends. That was a big one for me as well. A lot yeah. of the firms didn't allow weekend trading, which is what I needed. So that's why I sort of well. Go I just how do you bring up in like spreads as well and like Wednesday triple spreads and things like that because some of them like are crazy on some of the ones that I'm trading. Yeah, like, if I get caught out and end up hold swinging a trade on a Wednesday and get triple triple swaps like are you like just how much does that factor into your your trading as well unlike then it, it depends on the it, it depends on the time of day I, i'm a little bit less focused on, on on prop firm trading now than i was um i was very much i was very much still i was still very much young in in the mindset that i can take i've got certain strategies and i still want to absolutely if they're working i want to make as much money as physically possible but then over the course of the last six months i sort of stepped away from it and was like 
I, I don't need to. I, I'm not in the need for it. But I always love it because I can always like sort of, part of my French. I can always fuck about with different risk metrics or or different entries or whatever it might be on a platform because I don't really care about losing it or not. Um, so it depends. I mean, I, I, I did try, uh, whether it would be late at night or going into Asia, for example, on a, on a specific minor, um, whether it be taking the stop loss off in general or using, um, or what I would do if I was going into drawdown, I would basically use statistical arbitrage. And let's say, for example, best example I can give is, let's say, for example, I was, um, if I was long EU, I'd take, the, I'd take another trade on uh, UChef because obviously they're, they're correlated in general. And I'd use the Cisco arbitrage to basically um, counteract the drawdown and take off, all, take off all of the stop losses because yeah. then whatever I go into, wherever I go into loss on one position, I'll go into profit in the other. So I can basically use the Cisco arbitrage to basically come back round and, and negate round the spread. But it was a massive ball lake in general. I, I'm talking about and it was a ball lake to do it yeah. as well, uh, alongside everything that we have in meetings there, on, a, course, on a day-to-day -day basis. Like, I know. Uh, Trying to take the stop. Especially exactly, when you miss exactly next year. I still do it Yeah, yeah Take like, that stop loss not, off. You're it, swinging a trade. I take yeah. stop loss off. I do. I do. Yeah, no, that, you need to, otherwise, yeah. it, exactly, you, you just can't. Um, so, yeah, no, it was a massive, massive baller, and that's why I sort of transitioned away from it, because I was just like, well, I love it, and I also hate it. And not, like, not only the fact everyone talks about, um, well, you've only got 10% of the accounts to play with, which I can see it with, but realistically, if you're going 10% into drawdown, it, it really depends. Or If you know the metrics and your max and your max drawdown on a specific alpha, and I say alpha for a good reason. If you're going, if you know the metrics on a specific drawdown on your specific alpha, you should be able to know whether a 10% drawdown is good or bad for you anyway. If you know that a max DD on a, on, on, a, on a specific alpha will outweigh over a course of 12 months, it will outweigh 10%, why are you going for a pot firm in general? Because you know, over the course, whether it be, you might get away with it for five, six, seven, eight, mu eight right. nine months. Right, that one month where it takes it, you're screwed. That one month, yep. you're out. And now, now you're, you might have made, you never know when it is. And and that for me, I, I don't like not knowing. I'm, is I'm it a fair? control freak. And... No, so am I. And that's why I, I was going to ask you, is it fair yeah. to think though, bro? Like the, the way that you have structured your business, it is mm. only conducive to profitable trading. Whereas a prop trader yeah. nowadays, like especially mm. with, I wouldn't even call you really a prop trader. You're a funded trader. When you're a funded trader, mm. you can get payouts without following what are traditional trading principles, trading mindset and trading psychology rules. Mm. A lot of these guys will buy 10 mm. funding challenges, fail eight of them, pass mm. two of them, and mm take big mm. risk on those two accounts and make back all the money they lost to buy those other accounts, which is really not, in my opinion, mm. like proper trading psychology, right? No, 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 it's not at all. Um, it's just gambling, in my opinion. It's just yeah. generally gambling. It's like that quick fix. And yeah. But even so, for me, from my head, even though I'm in a situation and I'm, I'm massively best, but I can't say I didn't work for it. And you gentlemen, I don't know about you fellas, but I'm not spending 10 grand on prop firm challenges like today. I'm not doing it. I don't care how much money. I don't care if I've got a million sitting now. I'm not, I'm not doing it. It's just <laughs> to, to, to gamble it away. I'd rather go down to casino and just Same. put it on black because I know my odds are 50-50. Well, it's not 50-50. But at like the same what? time, 
45, it's 45. 45. Right. Right. But I, at the yeah. same time, I understand why the prop firm stuff is so appealing. The, the funding stuff is so appealing to mm. some guys that just are new and they just need to make some money. I could totally understand. Cool. So if you were giving advice to somebody, Charlie, who is right now really mm. interested in how you've built your business, would you tell them mm. the best way to start doing that? If they're funded already with one of these other firms to transition is the best way to just start taking some of your payouts and funding your own personal capital, or what would be the first step to starting a business like yours? I'd say that is probably the route in, in complete honesty with you. If you're trading prop firm capital and not building a, a, an account on the other side, because the, the, the massive issue with prop firm trading is that I'll, I don't know about you, gentlemen, you'll, I'll always get messages with, from traders that said, oh, I've traded, I've traded um, my funded, uh, my funded effects, my um, uh, MFF, FTMO. Every, every of combination of, like of mine, Forex and funds, they've traded every Yeah, company. yeah, yeah. Yeah, they've traded every company and I'm like, okay, cool. Can I see 12 months worth of track record? And you're showing me individual accounts over the course of, and I'm, I'm looking at, I'm trying to add up what you're actually doing. And there's no like real equity curve. I can't see an equity curve here. All you're doing is showing me accounts that you've made, or you've made a profit out of or whatever it might be. If you have a nice personal account on a, on a brokerage, I don't care the brokerage. It doesn't realistically matter. I can get the, you can get the track record audited. It's not an issue at all. As long as you can get it audited, it's fine. But if you can trade a brokerage account over the course of 12 months, well, I can just look at that. I can just plug that account into my rich metrics. I'll get all the figures anyway. So I can see everything you're doing, but I'm not being horrible. I'm not going to plug in one prop firm account from two oh years ago. Oh my God, bro. Right. And then, and then you torch ago. that one, and I, right. And then you got to yeah. plug in the next one. Yeah, no, bro. Yeah, 100%. and because you could, you could be, you could buy an account from Bespoke a year ago, blow it up, but, to, uh, but now you're showing me an account from six months ago no, and three matter. months ago you bought an account from ftmo that you blew it uh, and you're right. only showing me accounts that you want to show me right Sh show me an account that you've traded for 12 months frequently and i can see all the risk metrics and then we can have a conversation other than you know that, what i've been doing bro recently i've been seriously. telling people and that makes sense i've been telling people like if they mm. do the funding stuff use one master account that you can copy your funded mm -hmm. accounts to, and then you'll see the equity curve yep. of that master account because you won't see the payouts yes. and the withdrawals. It won't get wiped out. You know what I'm saying? Yes. Yes. Yeah. I mean, okay. there's even some products now on the market that are coming out that you can connect all of these firms to, and it will give you an equity curve for all yeah, of the like accounts. Yeah, like TradeZella or something and, and, like and, that. And, and, they're, they're doing stuff like yeah, that. Yeah, all of them firms. Yeah, yeah. They're, yeah. All, they're all basically connecting it all to and you can see a track record but but behind them and, and obviously when I, it's all bro, there. when i saw umar posted that he was like for everybody that's funded and wants to link the funded accounts and in my head when i hear that sentence i'm like for all the degenerates and all their gambling problems yeah 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 but again the game's the game and uh yeah, yeah, products, yeah. Are products and it, if 100%. you know your target audience it's it's yeah, the game's the game. Uh, Bro, you got, listen, you got 15 million under management, but they're doing 12 million in yeah. revenue in a month. Both of them are big mm. business. You know what I'm saying? So exactly. you can't knock exactly it. That. You can't knock it too much because they're mm. making good money and they're doing their thing. But, but look, like your you business model is just so different. It's not even comparable. And like mm. th that industry, the the, fir the prop funding stuff is so new. Mm. There's probably is going to be some mm. serious regulation. And I think when the regulation comes, it mm. will get expensive. And maybe you could speak on this because being regulated and getting becoming legitimate it doesn't yeah. come free you have to pay for that stuff i think no. that's going to make the prop firm yes. stuff get expensive and i don't think people are ready for that bro mm. i don't think people understand that no. if ftmo or whatever has to get more regulation they might have to pay for that and that gets passed on to the You're customers they don't just it. fire people for You're that right to. 
Great. Okay. Yeah, no, because again, you've got high compliance offices. You've got to, you've got to prove that you've got the liquidity for a year's worth of time, right. which kills a lot of firms in general. To, and they they perp, especially with the regulations and the, the the regulatory bodies, they try and kill the firm off in terms of liquidity to test if they have the liquidity in general. But uh, I know um, for Hong Kong, um, they wanted seven figures in a bank account just to prove that you've got the liquidity. And if you're a, like a, a relatively small to large firm, not seeing seven figures for a certain amount of time frame could kill a lot of businesses off. So yeah, if regulation does come into the industry, the customer and the client is going to pay for it, unfortunately. But again, does it come with bits and pieces like, okay, cool. Does it create more opportunities for the prop firm to turn into an investment firm, potentially? Do I think that's realistic in the next five years? Yes and no. I, uh, it's hard to say because- It's hard to say because crypto has a lot of attention right now. Right, right. And everybody's looking yeah. at crypto, it feels like right now, not prop firms. But you just yeah. reminded me, I don't want to forget, because this is important. A book versus B book. We got to talk about this because we're, bro, you're, you're a great, great source of information, Charlie. We're definitely going to have to do a part two. But can you talk about A book, B book yeah. a little bit? Yeah, no. So, I mean, it, there's there's two answers to this question. It's from a brokerage perspective, from a prop firm perspective. Um, from a prop firm perspective, a lot of the traders or a lot of people out there that hear A book and B book, they think that A book is essentially, okay, cool, your trades are taken on, uh, on, on a live, live account, account, a big master account or something. On a yeah. live account. Yeah. If you've got a 200K account, if you're A booked, I'm trading a 200K account. Cool. If you're B booked, you can pass a prop firm challenge and you can still be B booked off of the metrics and down to their risk frameworks. That's completely down to the firm. You can't you can't come at a firm for for B booking for B booking you off of their risk off their risk frameworks. As long as you get paid, it, there's not an issue at all. Um, but yeah, no, a B book is essentially that the the account is not real. That's the difference between A book and B book from a prop firm perspective. From a brokerage perspective. A book and B book is slightly different. A book is essentially you're connected to the liquidity provider. So any of your profits, there's different technologies you can use um, with B book from a brokerage perspective, but from an A book perspective, essentially you're connected directly to the liquidity in regards to us. That's exactly what we are. If our hedging facilities and our technology on the back end, there is no demo account with the hedging facility. And I learned this lesson very, very quickly when we come accustomed to this technology. I can tell you now in January, February, and March, I fucked up with the hedging and there was no demo account with this so we have a small hedge account that we can basically test it if i'm going to make a, a change to a certain strategy i'll basically test it on a small account that is basically connected to the hedging on the back end this small because again it's a book there is no there is no demo from a liquidity perspective so from a brokerage perspective a book is connected to the liquidity provider and then from a brokerage perspective b book is essentially let's say for example i'm trading on a let's say for example me i trade for a brokerage if i'm if the brokerage deems me that okay, cool, well, I might as well B-book this guy because whenever he hits stop loss, essentially his loss will be my gain. However, there is technology out there that essentially you can basically 50-50 that, that with the liquidity provider. So let's say, for example, I win, the brokerage would have to pay me out typically in B-book, but then with this technology, they'd have to pay me 50-50 because the liquidity would put up the liquidity would put up basically 50 wow. of that. But again, this is something that not a lot... This is something that you don't no, know. You have to know the technology, industry. right? And you a lot of, know the technology. You need to know this technology because a lot of the issue that a lot of these prop firms have is that a lot of these CEOs are not from a brokerage perspective. They're from a, a proprietary industry or proprietary background. So they they don't know what's 
from a liquidity perspective. They go to a partner like 8cap that will do everything for them, set all, set all the metrics up, set all the MT, have the MT4 license, everything like that. They already have it already there for them. So all they've got to do is just pay a, a monthly a monthly fee and they've got their profit. They're happy because they know their business model. They know what they want to be doing. If a trader comes on, passes an account and they deem them to be good, they're going to rebook them and they're going to make money off of, off the, the profit split, the 80, 20, whatever it might be. And if they're, if they're booked, they're booked and they'll have to pay out like that. And that's why a lot of the firms like uh, Funding Talent, for example, just went downhill because again, the, the business model weren't equipped for fast industry changes and, and the profitable traders. So let me cut to our last question. Yeah, yeah, we're almost at an hour. Tom, yeah. is that okay if I steal the last question? Yeah, absolutely. No problem at all. All right. So Charlie, really what I wanted to get from you last year, you speak on Twitter on your socials and stuff about hedging a lot. And I think this is something that people don't understand very much. Instead of just describing your hedging strategy, because I think I'd like to do, like I said, a part two where maybe we do some screen share. Maybe in a couple months, we'll get another, get some yeah, questions from the audience. Yeah. To know. Yeah. But can you talk about yeah. correlation? Because this is something that even Forex traders, commodities, people look at these charts that say, when oil goes down, UCAD should do this. And they think that correlation happens 100% of the time. So as being somebody who is hedging positions often, educate us on correlation. How much do they happen? Is it all different? How should yeah. we be thinking about correlation? What is the mindset around that? Of course. So th there's there's a couple of answers to this question. Um, from our perspective and from a, a company perspective for, in regards to Westwater Associates, we have a couple of different metrics. We have a risk metric um, in regards to an actual technology. We have hedging facilities in general that uh, is basically a, a framework, if you will, provided by liquidity um, for us to, to, to run it. Everyone assumes that, let's say, for example, if I say hedging facilities, for example, you'll naturally assume that if I'm buying GJ, it will sell GJ. And it's not like that. It depends on volume and the last order in the order book. Um, that I can't go too much into because I'm under NDA of my, of my own company. But in regards to raw alpha and raw trading strategies, in regards to correlation like statistical arbitrage, um, there's a couple of ways that I've always ventured into it and always been, uh, I sort of started off with, was one thing called tail risk hedging. Um, because one thing that I found that my strategy was naturally susceptible to was, let's say, for example, I'm in a certain trade. And let's say, for example, I've got FOMC meeting coming up in 15 minutes. Or let's say, for example, yeah, this week, I need to... I need to get a tail risk hedging because let's say, for example, I'm USD position, I'm, I'm USD long position. Naturally, I want to I want a tail risk hedge uh, a USD short position. So for me, if I'm uh, USD long, uh, if I'm USD long, I need to know the correlations between. Well, if I need to know the the, the correlations between DXY, for example, and the SP 500. Over the course of like since 19, there's been periods of time, and I can't remember the the certain uh, the certain uh, time frame, but I think it was from like the 1970s to the early 2000s. Uh, DXY and S&P 500 was negatively correlated, and yields were positively correlated. So using different bits and pieces like this, well, if I'm let's say for example I'm long USD and I can see something potentially that in the market that will result in a loss of this position, I can get a tower risk hedging. For, for example, tower risk hedge in regards to obviously a news release coming up. So I can use a negative correlation. So for example, at the minute, a great example is at the minute currently, US oil and USD strength are positively correlated at the current minute, as well as uh, short-term yields. So let's say, for example, uh, I want to be uh, long in uh, USD oil and, uh, oh, oh, sorry, for example, uh, sorry, I, I want to be short in USD oil when I'm long USD when I'm long USD in a position, that will 
correlation isn't a hundred percent, but it also can be positive or negative. That's what you're saying. But it That's, also I think, can the piece I'm missing. Negative. Yeah. Yes. So it's like, yeah. Not only does the correlation percentage change sometimes, mm. but it can go from yeah, positive to negative correlation. And then what yes. drives that change? Would it be the macro climate that we're in, interest rates and everything Depends else going on? Depends on the macro climate. Yep. Yeah, yep. because there's different, especially with the FX market, there's different anchors, whether it be risk sentiment. So let's say, for example, when risk sentiment change and we're on a risk on environment, well, what does really, really well? Well, beta currencies do really, really well and commodity currencies do really, really well. That's currencies like GBP, Euro, AUD, NZD. Um, and if me knowing that, if I'm heavily USD long and I know that we're now transitioning to a risk on environment and I can see that through the S&P 500, naturally, if the S&P 500 is up, uh, we're on a risk. In, we're on a risk on environment. Or if the VIX is up, we're on a risk on environment. Well, historically, if you go and do your, if you go and do run and run your data, you will naturally see if we're on a risk on environment, the dollar doesn't perform very well. Why? Right. Because naturally, dollar is seen as a safe haven, so we see a right. lot of the dollar position to get taken out of the dollar. Of and course. Cash and get Why would you hold cash assets. if we're risk on? We got to go, baby. Money if in if the market. Let's go. Right. Exactly. Exactly right. that. Um, so yeah, it's little different bits and pieces like that, that you can then sort of apply to your knowledge base and sort of, okay, cool. I, I, it's, it depends on the anchor over the last six sure. months. It's been heavily yield driven, heavily, yes. heavily, heavily rates and yields driven. Look at the correlation between yields and DXY short term yields are up and look at the steepening in regards to the, um, yield curve in the, the bond market. Been, that's been the anchor of the FX market over the course of like last like six, nine, 12 months time. When we start to cut interest rates, well, what's going to be the anchor? Well, risk sentiment's going to be the anchor because what we're going to see, we're going to see, well, rates are going to start getting cut. Yield's going to fall. Bond market's going to be up. Bond market's going to be up. Well, that means the S&P 500 is going to be up because they're correlated as well. Well, if yields are down, that's negatively correlated with the bond market in general. So it's all about taking these correlations and, and knowing how to monetize it in regards to back to FX. And that's why I always say FX is my bread and butter because I know what what is the anchor this week or this month for the FX market. And from there, I can stem and I, I can stem trade ideas from. Um, and not only that, once you know the correlations for the certain week and a certain month, you can use you can use that correlation as a tower risk hedge for a certain position, for example. Sure. Say, for example, you're too overexposed on a, 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 an S&P 500 long and you know we've got an SOMC meeting coming up and the probability of a hike coming in and it's been pro predominantly uh, yields-driven, well, I know the S&P 500 nine times out of 10 is going to shit the bed. Well, what do I need to be? I need to be USD long. And therefore, now- Hedging in case the S&P comes down. You're hedging it. Make, yep. Yeah, exactly and then you make that. money on the USD. That's smart. Super money. smart. Exactly. This is why you're running this business, bro. Mm. This is why you're doing what you're doing. It's very high it, level, uh, but it is important it. to understand mm. even for day traders. What were you going to say, Tom? I was going to say course, something yeah. that we use in our sports betting a lot. Um, you're course. basically betting the opposite side of the market that you're already on mm. to protect your yep. downside risk. To protect it's your just, downside. Yeah, exactly yeah. that. So when you're more, betting more a horse and then you're laying a horse or you're, you say you've got a five-fold mm. accumulator on a football team and you're set to mm. win 10 grand. So the odds, you literally, if that one team, the last team in the bet wins, you win the 10 grand. But if they lose, you lose your two grand stake. You bet them to then lose for two grand. So you either then make two grand or you make eight grand. So you're guaranteeing yeah, exactly yourself that. money and protecting your downside mm -hmm. risk by taking the opposite side of your initial bet. Mm -hmm. Yep. 
And if you're doing that over the course of a certain over the course of a certain time series, your expectancy will be positive, which ultimately makes you a profitable trader. trader. Not only that. How, how much yeah. do you take into account though that the EV of the hedging? Like, is that a mon- is that a metric that you then track? Because this is something we have a big discussion yes. about in our sports betting a lot. Is is the hedging EV over mm. five years? Is it EV over ten years, etc.? Or do you let the probabilities play out to help manage it because it's like we, a psychological thing for yeah. us no, sports at times because you can guarantee an out yeah. and guarantee money coming in versus you then yeah. taking ev off the table of course yeah no uh, we track anything and everything um and it, it really from a, from a training perspective it really depends on the intrinsic and extrinsic risk of the the weighting of what's currently open and what's currently yeah. running because for me I, i've got to manage two things my raw my raw, my raw trades that are open in regards to MT4, what the raw trades that are open and the raw trade, the trades that are open in the hedging, because they're, they're different. They're very, very different. I can close your trade. This is why I don't like, this is why I come away from uh, prop firm trading in general as well. It's because I know the back end of MT4. I know that MT4, let's say, for example, I'm long Euro USD, for example, let's say, for example, it goes up, right? I've made money. You close in MT4. That's the end of the trade. That's done. Yeah, not with the, the 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 frameworks that we've got in place. As soon as I cl- I open a trade or close a trade, it has it has it causes an effect in my hedging environment. So there's a lot more to this. Once, but again, the more it's very very funny in this industry. The more money you have, the more doors are open. So, um, yeah, no, we we track it, and it really does depend on the intrinsic connections it risks to the position. But over the course of twelve months, we will review it every 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 December. We will sit down and we will basically tweak what has essentially moved. Um, and that's why I talk about tail schedule a little bit more because we found that that has a better a positive uh, expectancy in regards to the weighting uh, yeah. of raw uh, raw 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 MT4. Uh, but hedging's a, a, a really really good thing if you can apply it more traditionally. Um, a lot of uh, a lot of like spot FX traders would start using things like options FX to essentially hedge their spot FX in in, in hedge funds. But that's a little bit more traditional and going back a good couple of years, probably before my time. Um, but yeah, no, obviously we can't trade options because we're CFD. So it's all about taking what you have and what you your your walls in your universe. Um, and, and being able to fully leverage and fully utilize the information uh, that's there and then being able to monetize that information because ultimately uh, you can read as many books as you like, but if you can't monetize the information, then we're all going to be sitting on our hands. <laughs> I love it. Good information. I feel like for me, Charlie, you taught me so much today. Like you got me thinking and I hate that we got to no, put it in appreciate here. It. But you're great, bro. You're great. Mm-hmm. And I, I really think the audience is going to enjoy that. your perspective. So let's, like I said, mm-hmm. pin it here. Audience, hit mm-hmm. us in the comments on YouTube. Hit me and Charlie and Tom on Twitter. Let us know what questions you want us to talk about next time. Do you want to see more screen share? We go over some of the hedging ideas. Talk about some of the strategy. We definitely can do that. Maybe you want to hear more about the business side of things. Maybe you have more questions about the team. Let us know. We'll definitely hit Charlie next time. And Charlie, we appreciate you for giving us the time, giving us the insight, giving us the energy, bro. Can't thank you enough, man. For real. Yeah, I appreciate it. You're more than welcome. Thank you for having me on. It's uh, it's an absolute pleasure, gents. Absolutely, absolutely. So, Tom, appreciate you as well. Can't forget my co-host and our audience. We appreciate you guys too. So make sure you subscribe so you don't miss any of our future episodes. And for now, we're signing off and we'll see you in the next one. Thanks, Tom. Thanks, Charlie. See you, everybody.